Welcome to the Core Podcast, brought to you by Core to Cloud. We talk about all things cybersecurity, about the latest technologies, the insights, the learnings, and also a little bit about our culture in this ever-evolving environment. I'm Kelly, and I head up the marketing department. And I'm Phil from the technical team, and we're going to take you through all our technology in a really interesting way. Phil talks technical, why I keep it lighthearted and remove all the jargon. We also have a selection of guest speakers, including a few people popping in from the Quarter Cloud team. So let's dive in. Welcome to another episode, and I'm delighted that we have a guest here called Tim. Tim and me haven't really known each other very long, but he's kindly got involved with our championing this mental health discussion within my industry, which is cybersecurity. Tim, for everyone listening, would you be so kind to introduce yourself and give a little bit of a background like you did for me? Very happy to, Kelly. Thanks very much for having me on. So my name is Tim Thurston. I'm a director of Team Doctor, which is based in Sirencester. We are a business that specialises in creating content and courses that help basically everything to do with staff engagement and well-being. So we, we cover the topics of mental health, but we also cover the topics such as sleep, exercise, nutrition and one of the key drivers which I'm sure we'll talk about today Kelly and that's about line management and the importance of the line manager on the well-being of an individual that's really my background my background is is management um, in, in the media industry I've had some five senior positions so I've been in the chair as a managing director on numerous occasions and learned an awful lot in that time about the importance of having a well-organized well-motivated totally engaged workforce and when you don't have that the problems it gets so that's the business side of it Mm -hmm. and obviously um you know i'm very very keen in terms of how to understand how teams perform which took me onto the personal side of it and and understanding the importance of the way to properly manage people and treat people um and uh my my my, my fellow directors specializing in content creation their former bbc uh, journalists, so they're very, very skilled in that field, and have created a lot of content for the NHS. So all of our content is properly accredited, and we've been very, very fortunate to work with some really leading experts in in, in various fields. So, for example, Sir Kerry Cooper, president of the CIPD, and um, Colin Espy, for example, of Oxford University, who's the one of the leading specialists in sleep. So, mm. yeah, it's a it's a very interesting topic to talk about very broadly, not just, you know, the, the the mental health aspect, but all of the things that spin off that drive our well-being. Where did the curiosity come from? Because you were obviously in the, the media side of things. What was the curiosity to, uh, was it because of your experience of managing teams did was there was there I guess I'm digging here a little bit was there a particular moment where you're like oh I need to learn more about this or was there someone that didn't respond to something that you would have expected or something like was there so, yeah, yeah was there well, a trigger yeah. I guess of like made you there go into a, it yeah there was, yes yes there was a trigger and that was auto trader so I worked for auto trader in Reading and, and then Southampton for, from 2004 to 2007. I was managing director of their centre. And 
one year in was when digital took off mm-hmm. and obviously you know tech has gone bonkers hasn't it since then and the business was business peaked in terms of its revenues it still maintained its profitability as it changed and it morphed from a print centric business to a digital centric business mm-hmm. The organisation had 3,000 employees then, and over a period of time after I'd left, it, it reached a, a number of 300 people, still maintained its same profit level. So an amazing change yeah. story. Great example of how to bastardise yourself and, and, and still be successful. And we, we were sent to Henley to understand change management and how to really completely re-engineer this business, trying to take people with us. So it, it was very, very personal. And, and, you know, I unfortunately, lots and lots of people were made redundant. And what the trigger for me was it wasn't so much the people that were made redundant because we worked really hard to look after them. And there was good packages and retraining. The company was very profitable and was able to do that really, really well. What I don't think anybody understood was the impact on the people that were staying. And the there change, was an right? Because huge the change. change. And the guilt, the guilt that their colleagues had oh, lost their job and they, they maintained. And um, uh, there's one specific example. Well, uh, to put a little bit of context around it, there, there's a, a great piece of research that's called the change curve. And it's been heavily researched. And it, it, to really summarise it, basically there's two dips. When we, we're, we're travelling along reasonably happy, something happens that affects us. Most change, you know, even as a positive change, ultimately, we have this little dip mm-hmm. where we we we're, we go into denial. We don't think it's going to happen. And then we quickly recover mm-hmm. and we think, oh, yes, OK. But then we, we go into this second dip where we get angry and we resent. And, and it's not until we've gone through that process till we come out the other side and we engage and accept the change. And so the misunderstanding of that and, and people coming out of that first dip, we were thinking, they're fine now mm-hmm. because they've still got a job and you know they've got more responsibility and they're, they're more secure. But then they went into this second dip and it, it really caught me by surprise. And it really, and, and of course, clearly most organisations are reliant on their people. Mm-hmm. People is the most important resource. And so we, we, we're trying to maintain this level of, of productivity and customer service as we're going through this change process. And it just really you know sparked my interest that was phase one and then phase two was after i'd finished in media i was very lucky to be able to spend a lot of time researching elite sports teams and getting under the skin of their performance and the small details and the nuances and it's really got very very little to do with tactics and strategy it's really down to the the nitty-gritty of of people's focus and clarity and me and my various partners i've got some sports people that i work with now and we deliver leadership programs we've created models based on their experiences and how that can translate into business which is absolutely fascinating and every time i deliver a program i i learn something new and of course you know if we've got a, a film library and online courses that they're not particularly expensive to subscribe to and have, you know, the feedback we've had on those and of course the fact that I've had the opportunity to be involved with the creation of those and listen to all of those it's absolutely fascinating to hear these experts talk about the how these things how problems manifest 
how you can identify those issues, things that you can do then to, to, to put things right, experts you can go to, and, and you know, some of the fundamental things that that's, that's take people on the on the journey to, you know, the topic that we're talking about today, which can ultimately be, you know, very, very poor mental health. And, um, and uh, you know, some of the pro proactive things that you can do to prevent that um it's not just about businesses about everyday life isn't it right and you obviously going into i'm assuming most of these were male teams that you studied yeah there's england netball team but in in the main and and, and i also worked with um a modern pentathlete sam murray okay. so there's a just uh, smattering but yeah the majority were men and okay. certainly you know rugby and football that's that i did a lot of work on mm. both of those two teams uh the, the football both those sports now have obviously a much higher women's profile but even though this was only sort of five years ago it, the profile was lower so yeah it was predominantly male yeah so. no, no no i i was wondering um when you approached to do the research with them did you go in with the angle that it was mental health or how? Because I'm just from I was speaking to you offline that even though our industry is now offering resources and running webinars on mental health, we're still finding that the majority of attendees are female. So I was just wondering when you went in to say we're doing this research, like what was the angle and how was it perceived? Did you get any um I'm not opening up about that. I don't want to talk about that. Or, or, or I guess, how was the research positioned and, and how did you, what were the metrics for it? Absolutely. So one of the key topics that, that I researched was extra chiefs and rugby team. And they, they, I was researching them as they won the premiership for the first time. So it was a, it was a fantastic piece of time, mm. a very fortunate piece of time. And so, the the angle was from a very positive perspective because their mental health was very good right. and they were all engaged and it was digging into that so it was it was actually looking at it which is a very interesting way of doing it from the positive perspective okay. so why why have you got good good mental health why do you feel motivated because the the other thing that's that's always worthy of discussion is language language is mm-hmm. so important and is so peculiar to each different contexts so you don't sports people don't generally go into work and say I've got good mental health today they go into work and they say things like I'm up for it I'm motivated I feel really good today and I think that those that kind of language needs to well every organization needs to think about the kind of language that works for them and and there's still a stigma around mental health that people don't understand the difference between mental health and mental illness whereas we do physically we understand the, the mm-hmm. difference between the mm-hmm. two so i think getting away a bit from that and actually you you know what what works for you as an individual and what works for you as an organization so the only person sports person that i spent research doing a lot of time researching is, is a guy called paul tisdale who's a colleague of mine in in a business that we we run called tis talks team and he said as a football manager he had to look after his mental health so he could make good decisions but he's the only person to actually talk about mental health everybody else talked about how they felt whether they were motivated whether they were up whether they were down they were talking about mental health but they didn't articulate it articulate it in that way the thing is with elite athletes athletes right they part of their so they were, I actually I interviewed um a colleague of mine he's in the sales team but he was a pro a rugby player um, but he had an injury and lost it all um 
And then he even had worse that his liver actually had a tumour, went bang, he ended up in a coma for three months, and then he woke up like half the man. Um, but he got told he wasn't going to walk, he got told that he might not be able to speak again, and he was sat in front of me as big, call him a triangle, it's quite a large guy, back to it, back to playing, you know, not full time, but he plays still, um, done everything he shouldn't have done, really, on paper. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting because he was saying, oh, well, I did this and I just went back to what I did at training. So I knew I had to control what I ate. I had to practice. I had to repeat. I had to load the weights. I had to turn up. I had to have consistency. And I said, oh, that's because you had all those mechanisms from training. Um, and actually their strong mental health is ingrained with them because they want that competitive edge, right? They want to win the next match. So they don't think about, oh, well, I've done exercise every single day and I've eaten well and I've had a good night's sleep as mental health, do they? Because they see that as a physical thing to make sure that they're a peak of their career and physically. And I think we can talk about physical quite comfortably. Yeah. Um, whereas if you're saying, well, actually, did you know that all those five things that you're doing is actually really benefiting your mental health? And and also going back to the coach that you, you mentioned, um, it's a bit like the analogy of when you're on a plane, right? If you put, if you're going down, you need to put the oxygen mask on you first because how can you help anyone else? And I think his coaching experience was explaining if like I'm not, if I'm not feeling well or I'm tired or, you know, you know, I'm a bit hungry or whatever, the decisions that I make will impact the person that I'm coaching, right? I, I guess is that kind of the experience that you've had. Absolutely. I mean, you've raised three really key points there, which which I'd like to quickly cover. So one is one is processes. So one of the reasons why they don't get stressed about their their outputs is that they're conditioned not to think about the output. So you know, if you're a, if you're a professional athlete, you might start thinking, if I don't play well. If I don't get some outputs, score some tries, score some goals, I won't get a new contract. I'll get, you yeah, know, yeah. I'll have to, yeah. you know. But, and there is, it's bred into them. Get your processes in place because it, what needs to happen is that come kickoff on Saturday, you've got to have complete, to perform, you have to have complete clarity and be able to just be in the moment and what you do on Monday at nine o'clock will determine how well you perform on Saturday at 3 p.m. So you're not thinking, you're not worrying about performance on the match mm-hmm. day. You're worrying about your processes that build you towards that. And those processes will be, be both physical and mentally. So they, they, when, when we talk mentally, it will be about, um, really interesting this, it, it can be about um tactical so yep. line out not to get too much detail about rugby really, but <laughs> line outs and, and plays but it's also about there's a there's a guy that i've just started to do some work with ollie thorley who's a who's a, a pro at, uh, at gloucester rugby and they talk about i love this they talk about degree of agitation okay. so how to to be mentally to be in the right space as you go onto that pitch where do you need to be in terms of aggression because if you're too aggressive you're going to get injured. Okay. And if you're too chilled, then you're not going to be be up for it. So that's all that mental preparation. It, 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 all these it's all these processes are that. built in so that they're they're not they they they're 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 always kind of in the moment, if you like, because each process is in the moment. So and they're not. And that leads me on to the next thing that that you know you you'll definitely have heard of before, and that is about controlling the controllables. Mm-hmm. And you can't worry about 
is the wind going to be blowing? You can't worry about if, if the opposition had just got some fantastic piece of skill one day. You can't worry about the refereeing decisions because they're all going to happen good and bad to you across the period of the season. Just focus on what you can control. What a what a lesson that is for everybody, you know, in terms of having good mental health is control what you can control, understand what you can't control, know that you have to respond to it. Don't, you know, don't, there's no point in putting your head in the sand thinking, well, that, that you know, I can't control that. So I'm not going to even think about the consequences of it. That's not the right thing to do. But the point is that accepts that those some something will happen in that area that you will need to respond to. It could be good, could be bad, but don't overplay it. Don't overthink it because you can't control it. So interesting, especially in our industry, right? In cybersecurity, in the sense that uh, there are things you can control. There are some technologies that you can put in place to make you as secure as possible. But in, I think, the, I think one of the stats isn't like now that you are gonna, you are gonna get attacked. It, they are gonna break in at some point. There, something will happen. But like you said, if you're in control of the controllables, um, you're prepared. And what we try to push at Quarter Cloud is your resilience and knowing yourself of how you react, like a fight or flight mode. Um, there's no and you know unfortunately now a lot of the tech big companies that get attacked generally start doing all the things to patch up afterwards where we like to say well why don't you practice run it see how your team responds how your tech responds and then you can then you then you don't have to let's let's just do exercising because you know interestingly we've done we've done um we do like uh we offer um not it's not round table exercises we offer crisis simulations a better word for it um um it's, it's, it's gamified and allows all your team to go evolved and then we observe very similar to what you've done in research of how your team reacts what they do and interestingly um we'll do some things and they're like oh that went really well didn't it? we got we got we got everything right as a team and then we'd be like you know two people did did you not watch your team or or eight other people looked at two people and they got the consensus of two people and then they made the decision. And then we said, but what happens if they're sick? Or they're not working that night shift. They're on holiday or they decide to move on. And and, and it, like you said, it's, the, it's, it's that, isn't it? It's making sure that everyone in your team is in control of what they can control, uh, aware that things can go wrong. But I guess also know their strengths and their weaknesses of their other team players, right? Of who to go to when it's, when it's evolving. And well, so there's... We, we created this model, nine key elements for a high-performing team, which is, is it just so matches the, the template really for good, good well-being. So the, the piece of research that was done by London School of Economics three or four years ago now into so the government commissioned it to find out what made people happy because to get people, if, if someone's happy, mm. they're going to vote for the government again. That was that was that was the whole okay. there that, you go. that was the whole concept. Makes yeah, sense. Yeah, makes and sense. it went back right to the second. I think it was the second, second or third president of, of the United States who said, "If you grow the economy, you give people more money, they'll be happy. They'll vote for you again." And that had been the premise for governments ever, ever since. No one had rethought that, and so. Uh, Guy calls Richard Layard does this research and looked at all governments back from 1970 to look at their policies. And it had all been along these lines. And so they undertook this piece of research. They came up with four four key drivers of making us happy. Mm -hmm. So 
if I ask you, if you if if we if you don't answer them and you want to cut it out, that's fine. But no, no, no. If you I can ask you, me, you can have my I'll opinion say, of what I think. Yeah. So sure. what, what what do you think? What do you think the number one driver of of good of happiness is? In my opinion, I'm going to put what my opinion is. I can only put that. Um, uh, I call it like um. I don't know, like my compass, like my be, like why, why am I here? Like my why, like if I've got like, um, yeah, I can't just like, yeah, Okay, brilliant, float. brilliant, okay, good. So the umbrella of that cup that falls into is good mental health. Okay. That's good mental health. And the key driver of good mental health is having a purpose, which is what you've just said. Right, purpose, so sure. yeah. Num- number one is good mental health and the key driver of good mental health is having a purpose. Okay. Now, what do you think number two is? Oh, tick, tick. Um, I guess like fulfillment that like your kind of falls into mental health. Okay, is that the same thing. Yeah, okay, uh, safety that I feel safe that I've got like economic things that I need. So I've got house I can put food okay, on the table yeah, that I yeah. can look after secure um or security. No, he's looking at yeah, me. No, that's, that's not right. Well, that's, I get where you're coming from. So that, that's let's call that money for this thing. So that came in fourth. So money came in fourth out of okay. four. So there were two other things that drove happiness aside of good mental health and money. Gosh. Um, a community, connection to people. Connections. So connections was third. Okay. And then second was, was good physical health. Okay. So, which, which we probably take for granted. We take good physical health for granted until we haven't got it. Then all mm. of a sudden it affects our happiness. So if you think of the context of that, so good mental health, good physical health, Good connections, friends, community, colleagues, good relationships, and then, and then money. And what I found when I researched elite sports teams is what made them successful. One, they had a common purpose. Yep. Everybody was on the same page. Dave, Dave Brailsford, the Team Sky and Team Ineos and you know GB Cycling. He, he, he very simply he said the reason why they've been so successful is he's managed to get everybody on the same page. So everybody's going the same direction got the same core purpose. Now, obviously, there's a lot of work around that as an organisation because, you know, you, if you if you can align an individual's purpose with the organisation, which is fundamentally what teaching and nursing looks to do, mm. um, then then you, you've got a head start. Now, I know people get disaffected uh, um, from those, those industries, but you know, if you have a purpose that you want to do quality work and you're working for organisations that's quality work, you're on the, you know, you're matching to begin with. And then it's understanding the actual purpose. The next thing in, then is understand what your role is and making sure that your role drives that purpose. Because if you don't know, there's lots of nuances here around good mental health. If you don't know what your role is, well, how are you going to be successful? Yeah. What's going to cause you stress? The uncertainty of not knowing if you're doing a good job, the, the uncertainty of whether your boss is going to come back and say you've done that wrong when you didn't even know how to do it in the first place. Mm-hmm. So it's really simple, but... There's, you know, there's so many teams get that wrong and most problems in organisations actually when they say their team isn't performing it's often that people don't understand the purpose roles aren't matched to the purpose people don't fully understand what their roles are and there's a conflict between manager and subordinate as mm-hmm. to what expectations are it drives massively drives stress in the workplace then logically it's making sure that everybody can deliver what they're asked to do so have they got the skills to do it that those skills would, would also be thing, I, you know things well i call them attributes probably the attributes then 
interestingly, we, we, we've talked previously about rugby players. You know, if, you, if you're playing rugby and you're front row forward, got a friend of mine who's front row forward, weighs 22 stone, carries it very, very well. Mm. He's got to carry 22 stone. And then there's a back who has got to move much quicker, who weighs 13 stone. They clearly can't do the same jobs. They yeah, just can't. Yeah, can't yeah, physically yeah. do the same yeah. jobs. So, but they've got to have those attributes to do their job. So you can mm-hmm. see how getting people in the right roles, you know, you know, if if the guy who's 20-odd stone has to do the role of someone who's got who's 13 stone, i.e. cover more ground, not get involved with shoving people, he's not going to get fulfilment. He's going to get stressed because he can't achieve what he wants to achieve. He feels he's letting his teammate down, et cetera, et cetera. So understanding your role. And then the point that you were talking about earlier about where your role fits in and working with other people is really, really important. So you understand your job. You understand other people's jobs. You understand that what they need from you and what you need from them. So you're letting each other down. If you don't, you can then take that to the next stage and talk about using people's strengths and making sure that strengths are optimised because that's what happens in high-performing teams. Mm. Most people, um, most people like uh, well people are six times more engaged it was a salesforce survey that, that said that people are six times more engaged if they're doing what they're good at that makes sense. so there's there's a clue isn't there about structuring people get people to do what they're good at yeah. and and try and you know get balance your teams and you know if, if someone leaves in your team you're ne- not necessarily going to be able to recruit someone identically so what we should be doing is looking at our team again and maybe changing our processes slightly i've learned that so much with my team in the sense when we've been a startup it was just me that had the marketing department um so i built a marketing department myself on what i was good at right because that was my yeah. strengths and then you have to leave ego at the door and you have to hire people that are way better than you <laughs> which has been a loving so, that'll bring better skills to it but then they bring a new thing to the thing right so then you're like oh they brought that in which i didn't realize meant we're missing this piece so actually the next hire but then that person's brought that thing and it's like do you know what i'm really good at that though so could you not hire that person to do that i want to take that on and then you're like oh okay well your role shifting so i need and I, that's the one thing i've learned from unexpectedly becoming a manager of a, of a team and then and, and then becoming a director is that it's constantly evolving like all the time it's like shifting like you say like with a department and someone's got this role and this role but even with that it kind of organically moves and it could be even just their age or their circumstances or their interests but yeah I get that and being interested and and me who started marketing a while back wouldn't want to do the same thing as I'm doing now because I've learned so much more and I've got interests in different Absolutely, things. Yeah. So why you wouldn't expect there anyone. But know that, that that makes sense. And interestingly, in our um, industry, like SOC analysts, they generally stay at a company just for two years. And that's because all day they are looking for the same notifications and the same risks. So could you imagine looking for the same thing every single day for two years? You have to move on because like no no one can do that like you have to move on you have to and I didn't even realize that I just assumed it was like you know money and people moved around um but one of our tech teams like no it's just because the risks don't change really that much if you're in one industry once you've kind of worked out in 18 months you're then kind of looking for the next one because you want to learn to be better at your job and yeah it is interesting of how that does impact your output as a job and whether you get satisfaction from it for sure absolutely 
Absolutely. I, I, I know we're running a bit short of time, so I've got, yeah. I've got something that I would like to share with you, yes. if that's okay, that I thought would be really useful for people. Unless they've been on one of our courses, then they've already heard it. Okay. <laughs> but um, what, to, 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 to kind of give, give someone who's listening something useful to take away, Kelly, mm. there's a piece of work that was done between Public Health England and the Health Service in, at the advent of COVID. We all know about physical PPE yeah. and what the, what that was. And they created a concept called psychological PPE. Okay. So they were ahead of the curve in as much as they, they knew that there's going to be stress in the workplace coming up over this next period of time with, mm. with the pressures of work, with, um, with Corona, et cetera. And so they, they created this concept, which we found really, really useful. And when we do our webinars we've worked with the fire service for example i've done a lot, lot of uh, line management training with the fire service and, and they found this really really useful so it's, it's a good concept and basically it's these these steps that you you know you create your own psychological ppe so step one is know what makes you happy mm-hmm. so what as an individual makes you happy and that's not just you know your day off what makes you happy at work what makes you happy across the day so is it that you're very well organized you like a list mm-hmm. you like some direction is it that you like autonomy is it that you like flexibility what what you know what understand what how you are going to feel the best mm-hmm. how you feel better and you know happy you're happy employees are productive employees so i don't think being happy is a is a negative word now for an employer either you know right. to, to get happy employees so what what's going to make you happy in the context of your working life in the context of your of your personal life what will keep you well so now we're talking a bit about the physical side so you know how much sleep do you need mm-hmm. understand how much sleep you need understand that if you are going to be out till four o'clock in the morning you're not going to perform too well the next day you know so mm-hmm. understand that before you even start and and maybe you know try to avoid it but if it's a, if it's you know there, there'll be people in your industry and people in my old industry that will work 24-hour shifts yep then and you know and if you do if you if you've got to do that then understand that that's a red line and everybody in the organization needs to understand that red line so that therefore you've got to have some downtime thereafter or you've got to have some slack built in or you've got to have some reduced expectations of mm-hmm. performance mm-hmm. In, in those periods of time the third one which i think is really interesting is create a plan of what you would do when you get stressed so understand that you're going to have something will impact yep, you will on happen. your day, on your week, on your month, on your year. At some point, something's going to come in, particularly in the context of what we're talking about today, when something crashes in. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What's your mechanism that, that allows you to cope with that? You've already mentioned that some people you know, some people will say, I'll, I'll just go for a walk for five minutes. But some people can't go for a walk for five minutes. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, so what you're gonna you've got to work out what works for you and that's what I like about this because it's personal be proactive and work out what what are you gonna do you're gonna have a stress ball that you're gonna squeeze have you got a friend that you can call are you gonna have five minutes on your phone playing solitaire what whatever it is whatever works for you is is there you know people have songs don't they is there a piece of music that you're just gonna you know, you know any whatever that is but it's inevitable that you will be stressed in some way at some point. Yeah. What your mechanism, you know, and my, mine's mine's quite a few of those things I've just mentioned. You know, mm-hmm. definitely get away and have a walk for five minutes, get a bit of fresh air. Definitely speak to someone. 
know, I, I, I'm very collaborative. I like, I, you know, I like to have colleagues in, you know, the businesses that I work in now, I've got people and I can, you know, I, they, we can ring each other and we can just sound off if we need to. Mm-hmm. Really, really important. The next point is, is one we've talked about already, control what you can. That's yeah. fairly, you know, which we talked about before. Then we start thinking, this is, so bearing in mind the context of this was the NHS. So ensure proper training is given for every role. We've covered that in detail really already, but mm-hmm. can you imagine what that would be, what the NHS would be like if if those, if that didn't happen there? Biggest belief, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, not great so for us anyway, as patients. That's really important. Then the cultural connections one, you know, encourage and support one another each day. So that's going back to the teamwork in sport that you talked about before. And and the the really successful teams, the England netball team referred to themselves as the family. Mm. You know, it's a good it, again, we talked earlier about what language you use and actively supporting one another. You know each other. You know when someone is struggling because you you know you you, you understand them you know them so that's mm-hmm. when you help them a bit more you know when someone's gone the extra mile but you also know when someone's slacked a little bit yeah and you know, you, because you know each other and then for the final point in this was which I've mentioned earlier which was the um, the sign off for here was the key for the well being of an individual is their direct supervisor. They are. They have no the pressure. most important. <laughs> yeah, a lot of pressure. Absolutely. A lot of pressure. They have, and, it, and it's interesting what you talked earlier about. You know, going into a manage, managerial role. Well, sorry, I, I've guessed that you weren't trained to be a manager when you first went into your managerial I'd had, role. You, I'd had some, right? Like I'd had like the basics that people go to in like a tick box exercise thing, right? But that doesn't. The only thing I can compare it to is becoming a mum. Yeah. I went to all the classes. I watched all the videos. I went to all the prenatal classes, but then you get given a baby, and a baby doesn't necessarily do what all the books tell you it's gonna do. Um, It doesn't necessarily do what your mate's baby did, or what you did as a baby, and what your mum's telling you. So the only thing that I can take as being a manager is that everyone that I've managed is a human being, and have very different sets of needs. motivated by different things things that someone would take as a joke someone else might not it's just it's a bit more of a minefield I think than what I when I ever expected um I I guess the the only thing I've gone by is experience of what I've had above me and trying to make a decision on how would I want to be treated in that situation and that's kind of all I've I've been able to go on and hopefully I've done a good job on that so far and and I've continued to go training and like I said I have conversations like with yourself to make myself learning I think continually learning and holding my hands up when I've got it wrong I think owning it trying to own it and be like I'm sorry I I got that wrong like I put that wrong or that email came across a little bit sure and sometimes you don't even mean that you've done it like that you're just doing it quickly and you just go over to the desk and look I'm sorry I've just read that back and that's not how I meant it like it that came a bit abrupt and Try yeah, trying to own own maybe, <laughs> but yeah, I've had some horrible managers. So I guess I've in all works from you know just from the first time doing a waitressing job to you know all different things. And I just sometimes think, oh god, you know they're human beings, and I wouldn't want to be talked to like that. And and I'm not motivated that way. So that's probably probably why it's navigated some of the, my my style. But yeah, learning all the time about it. <laughs> Absolutely, that's very good. And what you know, what, what all of those things you've said there 
demonstrates that you've got good emotional intelligence. And that is the key thing in a manager is to have good emotional intelligence. That's what Sir Kerry Cooper, president of the Charles Institute of Professional Development, says the most important thing in line management is to have good emotional intelligence. Oh, well, thank you. Hopefully, I don't know, you might want to interview my team. <laughs> they might say something <laughs> completely different, but I think they know the good, the bad. Yeah, like you said, like owning it and stuff like that. I don't lie about anything. Like, you know, if my kids are being a nightmare and I'm running half an hour late, I'm very open with them. I'm like, this is what happens. I'll take a picture of the breakfast all over the floor and be like, I'll be with you. Like, I don't make anything up like a very important meeting's coming. I'm I'm just, I'm quite open. I'm quite honest about it because I'm empathetic that they might be in that situation you know in a few years time the line or whatever you know um I I guess I wave that flag as well as a woman working full-time with a young family that's had new obstacles in a male-dominated industry so I guess there's a little bit of me in that that wants to be open and public with things but yeah hopefully and doing things like this um and learning and 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 yeah I'm hoping that uh, enriching myself with people like yourself that have got far more experience and knowledge and understanding and research behind things well, yeah, will make me a better manager, person, wife, friend, I guess, colleague. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tim. It went away longer. I could ask you so many questions. I feel like it could be like multiple series <laughs> of everyone I've spoken to. It's been really, really fascinating. But just to close, um, anyone that is still, uh, well, all still listening, where is the best way to connect with you, Tim, and your company and if they wanted more information? Yeah, please do. So you can look at www.teamdoctor.org. Be very happy to have a conversation. Thank you, Tim. Thank you very much.